The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks snapping their losing streak as U.S. markets look to build on last week's big gains. The futures are facing some pressure after the long holiday weekend here. Pledging a more hawkish Fed to tackle inflation. New comments by one central bank chief making the case for the ongoing rate hikes to curb price spikes in the future. President Biden also out with a new pledge to fight inflation, promising to back the Fed as he and Chairman Jay Powell prepare to meet on the matter later on today. Not helping the cause, oil prices climbing once again this morning after European leaders reach a deal to ban most imports of Russian crude oil. We are live in Brussels with the latest there. And plenty of headaches for those flying during this holiday weekend as U.S. airlines cancel more than 2,500 flights as they kick off the busy summer travel season. It is Tuesday, May 31st, the last day of May, the last trading day of May. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Tuesday morning. Let's jump right into the money and where Tuesday markets are shaping up the final trading day, remember, of the month of May. Futures right now are relatively muted. You can see there the Dow is implied lower by just about 66 points. The S&P implied lower by about six points and just about 12 point gains for the Nasdaq overall. Now, this comes on the heels of our best week in more than two months. And we ended a seven and eight week losing streaks for the major averages. All three, by the way, averages jumped more than, as you can see here, six percent overall for the week. Now, those gains helping the major indices erase some of the heavy losses that they faced in the month of May. The Dow and the S&P now in positive territory for the entire month, albeit just slightly. You can see there just fractional gains for the Dow and the S&P over the course of the month. The Nasdaq is still down more than 1.5%. Turning to the bond market, the 10-year yield right now is actually moving higher. Some selling pressure in the bond market, pushing yields to about 2.83% for the benchmark U.S. 10-year Treasury note yield. The two-year note yield is hovering just above 2.55%, and the 30-year long bond just a little below 3.04% as well. Taking a look now at oil prices, they are jumping after European leaders agree to ban most Russian crude imports. Right now, you can see U.S. benchmark crude prices, WTI, up almost to $119 per barrel. That's $3.88 gain there, three and a third percent gains. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $123.53, one and a half percent gains there as well. So you can see a real general bullishness to the market given those European oil imports from Russia being mostly banned. Now, we will have more from Brussels on this in just a moment here. Taking a look now at the cryptocurrency market, Bitcoin prices currently moving higher above the 31,000 mark, 31,606, up 3%. Ether prices, $1,969, 2.5% gains there. And some of the smaller altcoins and tokens also moving higher as well. 
Let's now go worldwide. Our own Juliana Tattlebaum is live in London with the latest there at the look at the European trade. And Juliana, a lot of focus on oil and gas right now, but it's a kind of mixed picture in the continent. It is a mixed picture, Dom. We are seeing outperformance in oil and gas stocks here in Europe. But overall, we are experiencing a bit of a down day, a contrast to what we've seen recently here in Europe. Yesterday, European stocks extended gains, largely on the back of some optimism around China reopening and lifting some of those key COVID restrictions. And after last week's strong week for European equities as well. But today, investors taking some profits, it would seem. So we've got red for the most part. We are seeing some outperformance, though, in the FTSE 100 here in the UK. It's 0.4% higher this morning. And one of the big reasons there is outside of the oil and gas majors performing well is Unilever. Shares in Unilever are trading sharply higher this morning after the consumer giant announced it is putting activist investor Nelson Peltz on the board as a non-executive director from July. This after his firm, Tryon Fund Management, took a 1.5% stake in the maker of Dove Soap, Hellman's Mayonnaise, and Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream, earlier this year. Unilever says it has held, quote, extensive and constructive discussions with Peltz, who's known for revitalizing consumer giant Procter & Gamble. One other, Dom, to flag for you, Credit Suisse. It's trading lower this morning. The bank denied a report it is weighing options for a cash injection to boost its balance sheet. It also had one of its key shareholders come out this morning in defense of the bank, saying a capital raise is not necessary, but shares, they're down about 3%. Dom? All right, Juliana Tettelbaum, thank you very much. Live from London. Now to some of our morning's other top stories. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good Tuesday morning, Bertha. Hey, good Tuesday morning, Don. President Biden is vowing to support the Federal Reserve in its efforts to fight high inflation. The president making that pledge in a new op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, laying out a broad three-part plan to combat high prices. In addition to supporting the Fed's rate hike strategy, Biden says he is looking to boost the productive capacity of the economy and also reduce federal budget deficits. The op-ed comes ahead of the president's meeting with Jay Powell today at the White House. The sit-down marks the first time since Powell was tapped by Biden and confirmed for a second term as Fed chairman. A new version of the collapsed crypto Luna is getting off to a bad start as it rolls out on major exchanges. After reaching a peak of more than $19 on Saturday, the new Luna dropped as low as $4.39 just hours later, according to CoinMarketCap data. It has since settled at a price of around $5.90. Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange, says it will list Luna starting today. And the kickoff to the busy summer travel season? Facing serious hurdles, U.S. airlines canceling more than 2,500 flights over the course of the Memorial Day holiday weekend. More than 1,500 of those cancellations coming just yesterday, according to data from FlightAware. Stormy weather in Florida and New York and the Mid-Atlantic this weekend were a big part of the cancellations and delayed. Don, this comes as airlines are working to ramp up staffing to handle expected record travel demand this summer. But I got to tell you, you know, looking at some of the flights and places I've got to go, just not as many flights as normally used to. And Bertha, those flights that are there cost a lot more. I'm trying to go out to, to the West Coast to see my parents. Tickets that would normally be three to $500 are in that six, seven, $800 range. And so you just yeah. never know what the, the demand profile this season. 
All right, yeah, Bertha Coombs. these days. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for that. The summer travel season is not the only thing facing hurdles these days. Yes, of course, I'm talking about inflation as well. And what to do about summer travel and inflation? What do they have in common? Well, it is demand, as we point out. That's right. Whereas airlines are overloaded by the hike in travel demand, inflation may be the largest driver in demand destruction as real income in the U.S. has fallen now for four consecutive quarters. Let's bring in Annika Trion to talk all things inflation. She's the managing director of equities over at Kempin. Now, Annika, you know, Berth and I were just talking about flights and, and, and demand for travel. That's anecdotal. There are many more signs that this inflationary picture is very, very, very strong still. Is there any end in sight? Hi, good morning. I mean, absolutely. There are signs everywhere regarding inflationary pressure. But I think the key thing right now is you're starting to see inflation expectations rolling over. You can look at multiple indicators that show that, whether it's the five-year break-even rates, et cetera. And that's critical because there's a big difference in the narrative of inflation, which is high and accelerating, versus inflation, which is high and moderating. And in terms of what you've mentioned about demand destruction, inflation has been the key component behind that demand destruction. So if that starts slowly moderating, hopefully you will see demand start to pick up again. You know, it's interesting, Annika, we were sitting here kind of going through some of the data before the show, and one of the big stories that's kind of making its way through the rounds right now is the severe drop in lumber prices. Now, lumber I mentioned because it has been, it was one of the poster children, so to speak, of that inflationary picture over the last kind of year and a half, two years or so. Is that something that we see happening with regard to the rest of the inflationary picture that we do see that when prices get to a certain point, if it is discretionary in nature, people tend to just shy away? Absolutely. So, I mean, we have to we have to always remember the comparison base because, you know, we're all obsessed with the year on year changes. But let's go back to May 2021. Let's look at what, you know, the vaccination rate in the U.S. was. Let's look at the level of economic activity. So, the comparison base in terms of year-on-year inflation figures starts easing massively. And that's also a big driver as to why expectations are coming down. To your point about the different sources of pricing pressure, that's exactly it. Look at what Manpower was saying, for example, about wage inflation, that at one point companies say, well, we've done as much as we can. Um, you're, you're seeing that roll over in multiple sources of pricing pressure, which is, which is what bond markets are telling us, that we could finally start seeing moderation in this area. And if you were to say to your clients, the people who are asking you about how positioning should be looked after in terms of this kind of a situation, what exactly do you do? We've seen a lot of moves here towards things like utilities and consumer staples, despite the fact you have rising interest rates that erode the power of some of those dividend payments. Why the defensive tilt and is it justified? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's something I've mentioned earlier, and I'm going to keep on mentioning it because what we've seen is a massive destruction in some, you know, a massive valuation change, right? The egregious era of very, very rich multiples, that's gone. To a certain extent, that's also what the Fed was trying to achieve. So we've lost sort of three PE points in terms of valuations. What, what market participants, what asset managers need to look at now is the E of the PEs because that can be very, very misleading. You can look at stocks which appear very, very attractive because as said, three PE points have essentially been vanished. But is that E realistic? Is that E sustainable? We've started to see estimate downgrades come in, but we have to sort of see more and more evidence of which companies 
are able to truly generate the cash flow to support the businesses and which ones simply aren't. All right. Annika Trian with the inflation narrative right now. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, more on that decision by the EU to ban the majority of Russian oil imports, sending crude prices surging. We are live in Brussels with the latest headlines there. Plus, several major Chinese cities beginning to relax. Yes, relax COVID controls with case numbers waning. The deep impact the government's zero COVID policies have had on that country's bustling economy and a 36-year gap between sequels, doing little to keep the new Top Gun moving from soaring at the box office. Very busy hours still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to the show. Oil prices are soaring today. You can see there crude prices for U.S. benchmark and world benchmark up about 2 to 3%. This after European Union leaders reached an agreement yesterday to ban a large majority of Russian oil imports in the region. Our Rosanna Lockwood is in Brussels, where leaders have been hammering out the details of that Russian oil ban agreement. Rosanna, what exactly will this and won't this involve? Uh, what won't it involve is absolutely key in that, Don, because this is the sixth and toughest round of sanctions by the EU against Russia uh, since that invasion of Ukraine by Russia on February 24th. We've seen a lot of unity up to the point of banning, a complete ban on oil into uh, Europe. This was what Ursula von der Leyen was calling for on May the 4th, and it's been more than 26 days to get to this agreement that we had overnight. The reason being that landlocked countries in Europe, like Hungary, like Czech Republic and like Slovakia are very reliant on this oil pipeline called the Druzhba oil pipeline. It's uh, the friendship pipeline is, is what it means. Uh, and they're basically saying, if you cut off oil to us, we'll have nothing left. So they've been standing in the way of an agreement. So what we have instead is carve-outs in the agreement. And boy, are there some carve-outs in there. There are some exemptions. What you've got basically is when Russian oil comes into Europe, two-thirds of it comes by ship. All of that is going to be banned. And one-third of it becomes by the pipeline. Hungary has managed to secure an exemption for the pipeline. And on top of that, they've also secured an exemption. If something happens to the pipeline, they can then go back to the ships and get oil from the ships. So it is considered a major achievement by Hungary overnight. Western leaders, however, Netherlands and France, for example, are saying they understand the difficult position that Hungary is in. And this was just the compromise that needed to be made to get to this. And it will cut off around 90 percent of Russian oil by the end of this year. Interesting, Rosanna. I mean, we, we also have a development here regarding Russia kind of cutting overall some of the gas uh, supplies to more countries in Europe. 
What can you tell us about the natural gas situation? Because that's been a huge sticking point as well. Yeah, and it's also, Dob, what people are calling for in the seventh round of sanctions from the EU, whether or not it will get into that, because uh, Europe has a big problem to wean itself off Russian gas on top of oil as well, highly dependent. Now, uh, you mentioned there the Netherlands and Denmark. They're both in the headlines today because just in the last few hours or so, Russia has indeed, Gazprom has cut off its gas supplies to Gasterra, which is the Netherlands gas company, partly state-owned, partly owned by Shell and Exxon Mobil as well. They were fully prepared for this. The reason it's been cut off is because these companies have voluntarily decided to stop paying for gas in Russian rubles, which is what Putin wanted them to do. He wanted them to open up banks with Gazprom bank uh, account and then pay in rubles. And these, com- these companies and these countries are voluntarily choosing not to do so. They're joining the lights of Bulgaria, Finland and Poland. Today it's the Netherlands. Later is expected to be Denmark as well. They're basically saying we're not going to do it. Uh, we're not going to find a way around these sanctions. And in doing so, they say, you know, we've got enough uh, gas to last us for at least the next few months, but then we're going to have to assess. And that's really quite concerning. They don't quite know what kind of shock this is going to put into Europe in terms of supply levels. Rosanna Lockwood, live in Brussels, Belgium. Thank you very much for the update on the Russian oil and gas situation. Still on deck for the show. The U.S. and China all appearing at least ready to tackle the ongoing tensions between the two countries, including Taiwan. Details on the apparent first face-to-face meeting set for top officials from each side. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Beijing and Shanghai are starting to relax. Yes, relax. COVID controls this past weekend as new case figures in the two cities drop. The move is a stark reversal from China's strict policies to try to contain the virus that have battered the world's second biggest economy. Yunus Yun joins us now from Beijing with more on just how much the zero COVID initiative and policy has cost China. Yunus. Thanks, Tom. Well, there's been a lot of focus on the cost to supply chains and factory closures, but there is another cost that hasn't been getting as much attention, and that is the loss of time and money created by the obstacles that Zero COVID presents in the daily life and work in China. In Zero COVID Beijing, the morning commute for CY Wong has looked like this. With public transport restricted, Wang pedals as much as 12 miles round trip. My backside used to hurt in the beginning, but now I'm used to it, he says. 
Wong's bike ride to work is one of millions of little disruptions taking place across the city and country that added all together is paralyzing business here. What took him 20 minutes on the subway takes double the time. For nearly a month, there was no public transport or ride hailing services in the area where I live in Beijing either. So if I had to go to the office, I would walk about 30 minutes. The office compound still restricts who could get in and how many people could be there at any one given time. So if there's an emergency and I have to go to the office, well, it just takes a while. The rules can seem random. On the right side of this road, people are mandated to work from home. On the left, they could go to the office. Many people are working from home, but as a technician at a hearing clinic, Wang has had no choice but to take his morning bike ride. I have to give myself more time, he says, for unexpected situations, like traffic. I get up at least 20 minutes earlier now. Wang is looking forward to getting back on the subway. So how is it? I'm kind of sweaty, he says. And we had another data point that indicates the drag on the economy. The official PMI for May came in at 49.6. So it's an improvement from April, but it still shows a contraction because all these COVID controls, Dom, have been weighing on production as well as demand. So, so Eunice, let's talk about data and the most basic of it, which is those case counts. What is the latest with regards to the case numbers there over in China and the situation that's evolving? Well, the case numbers for China are increasingly trending in what the leadership would believe is in the right direction. And they are currently under 100 for uh, all of China. In Beijing, uh, just in the past hour or so, the authorities have said that there's only been one case of community spread. But I think what's going to be interesting is to watch over the next couple of weeks what the Chinese government's response is going to be to these cases because uh, I'm not sure if you can see behind me, but there's a testing site and it has been jam packed, just has been just as a lot of other testing sites have been all day because people are going back to work. They are deciding to get tested. Um, some of them maybe haven't been doing it as often as uh, they originally had. So we're going to see a surge in the number of piece, people who are getting tested, which could potentially mean more cases. And so what's the government going to do? Are they going to tolerate it? or clamp down again? That's the big question for sure. Eunice live in Beijing with the latest there. Thank you very much. Now let's get over to Philip Mena with a check on this morning's other top headlines. He's in New York with the latest there. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. The first funeral services begin today in Uvalde, Texas for the 21 victims killed at Robb Elementary. Some mourners at a visitation last night wore lilac and shades of purple. Those were the favorite colors of Amory Joe Garza. Amory's family says she spent her final moments trying to get help by calling 911. The Girl Scouts honored her with the rare Bronze Cross Award. Visitations were also held for Maite Rodriguez. The 10-year-old planned to study marine biology at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Her mother says the school is setting up a scholarship in Maite's name. Meanwhile, a bipartisan group of senators are weighing several gun control proposals, including red flag rules to bar weapons from those deemed a danger. Also, expanded background checks, more money for school security, and increasing mental health resources. Democrats are hopeful a plan will come together by early next week. Jury deliberations are set to resume today in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. 
Legal experts say the jury has the power to find either party at fault or without blame. The jury also is not bound to the multi-million dollar claims. Finally this morning, the New York Rangers were down three games to two last week, but now they are off to the Eastern Conference Finals. New York stunned the Hurricanes on the road 6-2 to two, to take the series in seven games. They will now face the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning tomorrow. That's it from here, Dom. I'll send it back to you. Speaking of here, they are the talk of the town right now, right, Philip? Oh, my, my text messages blowing up last night with people talking about that Rangers game. So a huge yep. win. Congrats, Rangers. Yep, exciting to watch. All right, thanks very much, Philip Mana. Still on deck for the show. Calling for a more aggressive Fed. The new comments from one central bank chief calling on the Fed to do more to tackle inflation. And as we head out to break, a deal to tell you about as well. South Africa's gold fields announcing it is buying Canada's Yamana gold in a $6.7 billion stock swap deal. The combined company will now have operations across Canada, Australia, South America, Ghana, and South Africa as well. So a big merger in gold. We'll be right back. Stocks looking to keep that momentum going after the major indices put a stop to their multi-week losing streak. But futures right now, as you can see, pointing to a tough start to the post-holiday trading week. Taking a more aggressive approach to rate hikes, the new comments from one central bank chief saying the Fed needs to do more to tackle inflation. And sky-high prices, front and center for today's meeting between President Biden and Fed Chair Jay Powell as the president vows to back the Fed in its efforts to tackle inflation. It is Tuesday, May 31st. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's jump right into your money on this Tuesday morning and the final trading day for the month of May. Right now, futures are setting up for a negative start. You can see the Dow is implied lower by roughly 130 points. The S&P down by about 15 points and the Nasdaq is implied lower by roughly 10 to 12 points as well. Now, this is coming off our best week in more than two months and ending seven and eight week losing streaks for the major averages. All three, by the way, jumping more than 6% just over the course of that past trading week. Turning to the bond market overall, the 10-year Treasury note yield currently ticking higher. Right now, just at about 2.83%. The two-year note yield, 2.55%. And the 30-year long bond right now, 3.035%. Taking a look at oil prices as well, they are jumping after EU leaders agree to ban most, but not all, Russian crude imports. Right now, U.S. benchmark WTI prices, $118.70. That's up about 3%. Ice Brent crude world benchmark futures, $123.66. That's up about 1.5%. Checking on some of this morning's top stories now, Bertha Coombs is here with those. Bertha. Hey, good morning, Dom. Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller says he sees interest rate increases continuing through the rest of the year as a part of the central bank's plan to tackle inflation. Speaking yesterday in Germany, Waller said the Fed should be ready to raise rates by half a percentage point at every meeting from now until inflation is decisively curbed. Waller thinks the Fed can raise rates and tamp down demand without causing a severe economic downturn.
The U.S. and China are reportedly working to finalize the first face-to-face -face meeting between their defense officials. The Wall Street Journal reporting that meeting between Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and China's defense minister would likely take place on the sidelines of a conference in Singapore next month. The proposed sit-down comes amid increased tensions between the two sides over Taiwan, with Beijing slamming President Biden over his comments during his Asia trip that the U.S. would get involved militarily in response to any Chinese invasion of Taiwan. And the new Top Gun film taking the top spot at the holiday box office during its debut weekend. The sequel to the 1986 original, soaring past expectations, pulling in more than 150 million bucks in North America and nearly $250 million globally. Top Gun Maverick also dethroning the previous record holder for Memorial Day weekend box office. And we're not talking just pandemic times. We're talking 2007, when Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End had set a record, Dom. That debut also marks the biggest debut of Tom Cruise's career. That's a big AARP plus, right? He's still got it. <laughs> I will tell you what, too, and I'm glad that you called it a sequel because I've heard a lot of folks out there say it's a remake. This is not a remake. It is, in no. fact, a sequel. <laughs> Thank you very much for those updates. We'll see you later on. Back to the markets now. Last week, strong showing by the major indices, helping to erase some of the losses markets have faced this month. This as earnings season winds down, but still some of the big names left to report out there include Salesforce.com after the bell. For more on the market, let's bring in John Nigerian, Market Rebellion co-founder. He's also a CNBC contributor. You'll see him often on the halftime report. John, thank you very much for being here. Let's take us through whether or not this stock market volatility has, in fact, right now topped at least near term. Uh, it very well may have, Dom. Um, we, we saw a significant shrinkage in that volatility on Friday, uh, trading all the way down to the 26 level uh, and, uh, you know, threatening to go lower than that, Dom. So many of us thought that was a pretty big positive. We had a real blowout on uh, volume of options traded uh, a week ago. 52 million of those changed hands. So they didn't occur at the same time, the peak in volatility and the peak in volume uh, for stock and options trading, but they were pretty close. Um, so is it close enough? Was that the tradable bottom that we saw? It certainly has been for 7 or 8% in the market. And uh, then I guess we're just going to have to be a few more weeks into the future to know for sure whether that was it, Dom. So, so it, 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 let's just say maybe that's it. I mean, we, none of us knows the maybe. future. Maybe it's that's it, John. But one of the places that we have yep. seen historical data, at least over the last week, of buying activity has been many of the names that have been beaten up the most and were the ones who led the rally for arguably the last five to seven years. And I'm talking, of course, about big cap technology and big cap communication services. Is that still the buy the dip trade? Do you think investors are still in that habit of every time they go on sale, they step in to buy? Um, I, I don't think they're still in that habit, but I think selectively uh, when we did see washouts and, you know, there's really no better example than NVIDIA uh, when, when it reported and uh, top line, bottom line were great, but guidance not so great. And the stock went from 169 on a regular close to about 153 
in the post market, uh, that washed out a lot of people. It turned and burned, to use your Top Gun expression, um, to the upside uh, dramatically and has continued higher since. So uh, I think selectively you're going to see people uh, being willing to buy dips, but I don't think it's broad market that they're just buying every dip like they used to. I think it's much more selective right now. All right. So, John, let's keep on that Top Gun Maverick reference here. Where are investors in your mind saying negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full? What are they staying away from? (laughs) Well, uh, they've been staying away from Salesforce. You talked about it because they have earnings uh, on the close tonight. Uh, The stock has lost half of its value, Dom. This was a $330 stock, I believe, at the peak. It was $165 on Friday, and that wasn't even the low um, that it put in. So there's a fair amount of bets that maybe this is a similar sort of move to uh, NVIDIA or some of these others where... uh, People are betting to the upside on these calls, but not in a huge way, but they are betting on about the 180 strike, Dom, and I don't blame them. I mean, uh, you know, Benioff's company, I know he's a co-chairman these days, but that's a great company, and to buy that 50% off, I think, is something people are willing to do, uh, especially in a market that seems like it's holding, uh, maybe not rebounding as strong as it was a week ago, but holding, Dom. All right, John, so we're looking at a chart right now. It's 165 and change, as you point out. You're seeing a pickup in the 180-strike call options, so a bet that maybe kind of moves towards that level there. Where else are you seeing some notable options activity before before we let you go here? Sure, ChargePoint, uh, CHPT. This is a, just like the name implies, charging stations uh, for EVs and so forth. And they bought 30,000 of the two-week-out, the June 10th expiration uh, 13 calls, was it? Let me see here real quick. Uh, no, the 14 calls, June 14 calls. 30,000 is 3 million share equivalent, Dom. So that's a very significant trade as well. Also a stock that has just been hammered. And you'd think with all the money that we're putting into EVs and supporting that infrastructure that this would be one of the winners. But it's been one of the big losers this year. Uh, maybe that losing is about to stop, Dom. All right. John and Jerry at Market Rebellion, thank you very much. Always great your thoughts. We'll see you later on in the show later on today. Coming up here, President Biden and Jay Powell are set to meet on a strategy to tackle record high inflation numbers. Jimmy Pethokoukas lays out the steps the pair need to take to get sky high prices, prices back under control. We have that story coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. All right, what you're seeing there at just about almost 5.42 a.m. Eastern time is a live shot of the White House in Washington, D.C., where later on today, President Biden and Fed Chair Jay Powell will have their first meeting face-to-face since Jay Powell was confirmed to a second term as Fed Chairman. They will be talking, of course, about what's happening with the inflationary picture, not just here but abroad as well. Now, President Biden says the Federal Reserve has a primary responsibility to control inflation and vows not to try to influence the central bank's decision-making process. The president will meet with Fed Chair Jay Powell at the White House again later on today. Again, their first in-person meeting since Powell, again, was, was confirmed to a second term in November. Now, in a Wall Street Journal op-ed, the president says he will support the Fed in its efforts, saying, quote unquote, the most important things we can do now to transition from rapid recovery to stable, steady growth is to bring inflation down. 
He says that's why he has made tackling inflation his quote-unquote top economic priority. Let's talk more about this now with James Petakoukas, economic policy analyst at the American Enterprise Institute. He is also a CNBC contributor. Jimmy, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, morning. You and I are both feeling it. Millions of Americans are feeling it. Millions upon millions of people around the world are feeling these pricing pressures. Is there anything that can be done from the White House and or the Federal Reserve to tackle this in a meaningful way in just the next coming few months? Dom, I think what the president is saying, both by this lunch, you know, this or this meeting today, and that Wall Street Journal op-ed, is is like is the main thing the president can do, which is to say, I support the Federal Reserve. I, unlike my predecessor, I am not going to try to undercut the Federal Reserve. I support the Fed. Listen, and that does seem kind of pro forma, but what I think between the previous administration. And some of the president's allies talking about you know, greedflation and monopoly. I think it's very important that the president focus on what can actually be done. And that's monetary policy. And that's the executive branch supporting the Federal Reserve. There's a, there's a bunch of other good ideas in that, in, that, in that op-ed about improving productive capacity. All that stuff is long term right now. This is the Fed's job, and it's the president's job to support the Fed. So in your mind, what needs to happen? I mean, we've heard, we've heard talk about 50 basis point or half percent rate rises for the foreseeable future. We've heard about maybe the Fed starting to throttle down a little bit if we're seeing some signs of peaking inflation right now. In your mind, what is the correct strategy? How do you go about this? Is inflation enough of a problem where you just have to go nuclear on trying to tackle it, or can you be more measured? Right. Uh, I, 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 would, I would keep the nukes in the silos. Uh, listen, the problem before the Fed got behind the curve, and I don't think, even though I'm also extremely concerned about inflation, have been for a long time, that you don't want to end up overcorrecting. Listen, there's already been a lot of tightening. Uh, higher prices in themselves, uh, I think we're already seeing, looking at consumer sentiment, higher prices in themselves are going to undercut demand. So I think what's really tricky here for the, for the Powell Fed is to, is to not go nuclear, even though that might seem like that's the right thing to do right now, and, tr- and still try to thread that needle. Again, we already have tightening. Consumer sentiment is weakening. Uh, it's extremely tricky, but to a degree, the problem is already fixing itself. And obviously, the Fed has more to do, uh, but uh, we, 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 we don't want this thing to turn radioactive. You're starting to see signs, Jimmy, in the data that, that we are seeing perhaps a moderation in some of those everywhere but the energy market. That energy market is key. It is consistently in polls and surveys the biggest concern for Americans, even more so than food and rent. So what exactly kind of messaging does the Biden administration have to put out there to, to reassure the American public? that the energy issue is under control as well? Well, obviously, there's going to be no messaging like actuality. I mean, there's, I mean, listen, people may not know like GDP numbers and they may not know the PCE number. Uh, they know how much a gallon of milk costs. They, they know how much, you know, meat costs. They know how much gas costs. So you're not going to message them away from their concerns. But I did think it was important in that, in that Wall Street Journal op-ed, which I, I really view, I urge, you know, the viewers to read, it's pretty interesting. I mean, he did address energy. I mean, that's been a big criticism from the right, that this is an anti-energy administration, and that's playing a role. So when the president can talk about 
energy. And I would like the president to do a lot more uh, to enable, for instance, a lot more drilling, both uh, oil and gas and geothermal on federal land, more, you know, helping nuclear. Again, a lot of this stuff is longer term, but at least it sends the message that I think energy abundance is important. All right, energy. Cheap energy. Absolutely. Energy Energy is the, the, the talk of the town. There's no doubt about it right now. James Petakoukas at the American Enterprise Institute. Thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts. We'll see you soon. On deck for the show. Check, check out what's happening right now, okay? Because we are seeing in just the last half hour, 40 minutes or so, a rather steep deterioration in the market. You may recall when we started the show, the Dow was implied lower by 20 points. It is now 547, so for roughly 40-some minutes into the show, we are now implied lower by roughly 200-some points, 216 points. We'll have much more on what the, what's going on in the markets right now. Matrix Asset Advisors David Katz lays out whether markets will be able to keep up some of their recent positive momentum. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice, Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. The U.S. markets are returning from the long holiday Memorial Day weekend, and investors will hit the ground running with several economic reports on tap today, as you can see. We get the latest snapshot on housing with the March S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. That's followed by the May Chicago Purchasing Managers Index at 9.45. And then Consumer Confidence at 10 a.m. At 10.30 a.m., it's the monthly manufacturing survey from the Dallas Fed. And, of course, earnings are still trickling out. We hear from Dow Component Salesforce.com and then HP as well after the closing bell today. So let's check out what's happening with the S&P 500, because remember, at the lows that we've seen in this latest pullback, we had entered that so-called bear market territory down more than 20 percent at these levels here. We've now gained roughly 7 to 8 percent in this rally that we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks or so. So has it bottomed out enough? Maybe some bulls are trying to make that case right now, while the bears say there's more to go. If you look at growth versus value, there's a reason why there's at least a moderation right now. Over the course of just this year-to-date period, on growth versus value, these ETFs track them, the white line for value, the orange line for growth. You can see here some of the widest gaps that we've seen in terms of overall performance are just here right now. But that orange line is ticked up as of late, so maybe there is, in fact, some kind of a mean reversion. Can this kind of close the gap a little bit type trade happening? And, of course, a big part of that whole thesis has to remain in mega cap technology and communication services stocks. If you look at Apple, Microsoft and Alphabet, the parent company of Google, the pullbacks that we've seen now from their recent record highs has gone anywhere from 18 to 26 percent. That's maybe one of the reasons why you're seeing a little bit of an uptick here on the right hand side of the screen. So are those mega cap stock plays going to be ones that investors focus on a little bit more? So let's talk more about this and everything else in the markets and the trading day ahead with David Katz, the chief investment officer at Matrix Asset Advisors. Now, David, I mentioned the mega cap technology trade, and we were talking with John Dejerian earlier about kind of that habit that investors have had. Do you feel as though investors are still in that mode of wanting to buy mega cap technology when it goes on sale? We think ultimately they will be, even though those stocks came back last week. They're the, one of the few groups that's selling at very attractive valuations. So you can buy a lot of them at 15 to 17 times earnings. So we think if you do have a 9 to 12-month time horizon, we think there's some great opportunities there. Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, all really uh, compelling prices right now. 
So if you feel as though that's the case, I mean, you're talking about this kind of nine to 12 month horizon. We are seeing again some of the weakness in futures markets right now coming out of this holiday weekend. What goes on a shopping list for, for an investor such as yourself, given the recent price action that we've seen? It has been pervasively to the downside. This kind of near-term uptick may be comforting for some, but do you expect those prices to go down even further in the coming weeks? Short-term, this market is truly impossible to predict. So we, what we think you have to do as an investor is look at companies, try to set prices that you think are attractive in terms of a valuation basis, and then buy the weakness. Buy days like today. Don't chase rallies like last week. We think that if you have that longer time horizon, you're able to take advantage of the opportunity. If you're looking to call a low, that's really an impossible exercise. The only time we're going to know that there was a low is if you look three to six months later and say, okay, boy, the market did bottom out there. Uh, we think you, you really can't do that as a trader. We think the much better way to be a successful investor is to buy really good businesses at attractive prices. Uh, more likely than not, they might go down a little bit lower after you buy them. But nine, 12 months later, they should be a lot higher. A company like PayPal, uh, which is off 60 or 70 percent from its highs, we think has good long-term prospects. You're buying a great growth company, and you're buying it at a GARP price. You're buying it, say, 17 times next year's earnings, which is pretty attractive. So you, you kind of read my mind there, David. I was, I was just about to ask you about the shopping list. So PayPal's on there because you think it's a good business trading at a discount valuation that has growth prospects ahead. What else fits the bill? Because I can think of a lot of stocks within the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100 that are down 20, 30, 40, 50 or more percent from their highs. But what characterizes a good business in your mind? I was going to say uh, being down is not necessarily the buy indicator. What it is is a good franchise with long-term revenue and growth prospects. And if you can buy it at under 16 times earnings, uh, we think it can be pretty attractive. And we think there are a lot of growth stocks that have fallen out of favor, like that Google or Facebook, uh, that have gotten down to those valuation levels. Uh, Starbucks is down very significantly this year. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's a, a very good company. The uh, CEO just bought $15 million worth of stock. Uh, we'd also like the financials. Companies like Truist Financial is selling under 10 times earnings. Goldman Sachs is at a very attractive price. So it's really spread out. Unilever is in the news today. Tryon Partners took a 1.5% stake. They put Nelson Peltz on the board. This has been one of the largest underperformer consumer staples, consumer product companies. So we think it has a lot of catching up to do. Management has really underperformed. Uh, so we think trying getting involved is a real good thing and, and should catch up to other consumer staples that have done a lot better. David, before we let you go, you mentioned consumer staples. An outperformer in the, in the market volatility, where else in consumer staples do you look for value besides Unilever? Um, so we have one or two companies there. We have Kellogg, but those companies have done really well. So they're closer to the upper end of their trading range. So for new monies, we think they're much better places than consumer staples. Uh, right now, the Unilever is the consumer staples that's got to do some catch up. And we think it's got a lot more upside. So that's where we would put new consumer staples money. Otherwise, uh, we own some in the group, but we're less inclined to throw new money at that area. And really quick before we let you go, what do you stay away from? Uh, we think the things that have done real well that are selling at the upper end of the valuation, like utilities, have had a great run, but they're selling at 18 to 20 times earnings where you're able to buy much faster growers in much lower multiples. So we'd be taking profits in some things that have done well, like the utilities, and redeploying that money into some of the laggards at right. lower valuations. All right. David Katz with the call on the markets right there. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. Have a great day. Thanks. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's show you what's happening with futures right now because we are near the lows of the session. We've seen about a 200-point deterioration in just about the last 50 minutes or so. 
Keep an eye on what's happening with the markets. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.